Alright, everybody, welcome to Flyers AD here. It is Sunday, April 3, 2022, here, a rare Sunday edition of Flyers AD. And, uh, well, we got plenty to talk about. Been a while since Anthony's been on the show, so we got to, oh, what, week and a half worth of shit to recap, so that'll be definitely be worth it. But, uh, I guess the biggest news, and I don't even know where to begin on this one, but, uh, Flyers scratched Keith Yandel. Iron Man Street came to an end. And uh, Twitter handled it about as well as you expect. The, the people that begged for him to be scratched all year long are now angry that they finally scratched him. If that is not just peak Flyers fan bullshit, I don't know what is. Yeah, I, I just, I think it was like an overblown thing all season long. Like, we kind of talked about it while the streak was going on. I guess people started really complaining about it back in December I want to say, and, you know, we would come on here and say, like, okay, he's not good by any stretch, but, like, is it worth kind of ruining that streak and getting that potential backlash just to dress Nick Sealer, Kevin Connaughton over him? And they decided that with how many games are left, 20 or so? Uh, 14, Um, 14, something like that. 15 games left that it was worth it to break his streak in favor of Nick Sealer. Look, I don't really care one way or another. I don't think it's a big deal one way or another. If it were me, would I have kept him in if it was between him and Nick Sealer? Maybe, just because I don't think that Nick Sealer's that great in his own right. I know there's a report from our friend Anthony Sanfilippo who said that they wanted to get a look at him with another partner other than Keith Yandel in case they look to bring him back as like a number eight. I mean, maybe I could see that logic, but at the same time, do you really need that big of a look at a guy to see if he could be a serviceable eight defenseman? So I, I don't know. I one Either way you look at it, I really don't care. Like if you think that the Flyers did something very underhanded to Keith Yandel because of the games are meaningless and... You know, he's a very popular guy. Okay, fine. I could see it from that point of view, too, especially if you're a former player. Like, former players provide insight to these types of situations that we, no matter how hard we try, cannot match. But if you're also looking at it from the standpoint that he's been downright brutal all season and has probably deserved to be scratched from an on-ice perspective, I could also see it from that point of view, too. There, Like, there's both rights if you will on on both sides of this argument and i just don't see how angry people are on either side like if you disagree with it great if you agree with it awesome but to see how angry and passionate people have gotten about over this it's kind of sad in a lot of ways more so for the fans, like if you're a former player, you saw a lot of former players weigh in on this, Carlo Koliakovo and Ronick specifically, um, then I could kind of see it because you're kind of relating to it. But from a fan point of view, it's just like, I guess it's because the season's just been so bad that like any form of news like you latch on to, but like it's just like... Who cares in the end, honestly? You know, it's it's not a big deal either way. No, and I don't particularly care one way or the other. And 
I think the same thing happened in Florida, where they threatened to bench, in, uh, bench him a couple times last season, and then the outrage happened. How dare you bench Casey Handel and end his strike? <laughs> but it's like, I don't know, if you hate the fucking guy so much, he shouldn't be playing. And I don't know, listen, I, I respect what Keith Yendel has done, doing what he did is incredible. The fact that Phil Kessel is going to pass him is just the most insane fucking thing I've ever heard in my entire life. But, <laughs> like, I... I, I the thing is, that streak at this point in his career is a net negative towards his own career, right? If the Flyers did not end his streak, who would have signed him next season? Now, I don't think the teams are going to be lining up to get this guy, but if he wants to continue his career and sign for a vet minimum for a one-year team as the seventh defenseman, he can do that now because there's no streak. If the other team had to acquire him and that streak... You know, they uh, that may be a net negative in hurting his career. So the fact that it's over, like, he may have just ex- uh, extended his playing career for at least another season or two. And I don't know. At the end of the day, I don't particularly care. I see both sides of the coin here. You scratch Yandel because he fucking sucks. But it ultimately, ha- I guess, well, you know, you're scratching him to play Adder. That didn't happen at all. You had five guys <laughs> without Adder. It just didn't fucking matter. Those two, those. The fate of Yandel and Adder did not cross whatsoever. It was about Yandel and Sealer, which is dumb. But, you know, at the same time, I do remember really liking Nick Sealer during the preseason and earlier in the year um, before Ryan Ellis went down. And, um, you know, uh, shit at the fan and the season spiraled out of control and got worse and worse and worse. And he was paired with Yandel all season and looked like shit because of it. So, you know, I at least understand the theory of... Hey, let's see Nick Sealer with somebody that isn't fucking Keith Yandel and see if he can at least, you know, get back to replacement level talent. And I wouldn't be surprised if they keep him around for another year, even if it's, you know, with the Phantoms for most of the season. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, this just this just does not matter to me in one way, though. Kevin Hayes was very angry about it last night. Yeah, I know Predictably. Uh, yeah, I know they're besties, and apparently the players weren't happy. But at the same time, like... I'm pretty sure those players are smart enough to realize that Keith Yandel just isn't very good anymore. You know, they may like him as a person, they may be his friend, but at the end of the day, like, you know, you gotta move on. It's not like he was coming back next year anyway. You know, I just don't understand where what the fucking outrage level is here with something so... I, I, I don't want to say minuscule, because that d- diminishes the streak, but at the end of the day, like, who could possibly care? How can people be so angry about this topic one way or the other? Yeah, well, well, that's what it comes down to for me. Like, I, I just, I thoroughly cannot see why people are so upset by this. Like, they're so mad. And I don't, like, I, I, I don't see it. I don't get it. I, I, I think it's mainly because they want, uh, how would I put this? It's like, it goes back to the AV thing, and we could talk about AV again here because he surfaced once again. We just can't stop talking about this guy. <laughs> but it, it's because people want to blame one thing. People want to look at one single issue and be like, that's the problem. Yeah. It's this guy. It's the older veterans. It's the boogeyman coach. It's the incompetent general manager. They just want that one thing. And then they think the clouds are going to part, the sun's going to come out, and this team is just going to be off to the races with sunshines and rainbows. But it's like Keith Yandel being a brutal number five, six defenseman played a part. Certainly it did. 
but it's not the main issue. Like, even if you had Gossespierre and Robert Hag as your third pair this season over Yandel and Nick Sealer, what would have really changed? Let's be honest here. Would the Flyers be any better? Maybe a, an extra win here and there. The power but they would be slightly better. Exactly. But like they, that, they, nothing. It's like it's so inconsequential. Like we the thing is, is I think that even Charlie has pointed this out too, is that and I believe you said too, is that like even when this team's fully healthy, there are still major flaws. And it's so obvious they need top end talent. And you saw it last night against a team like the Toronto Maple Leafs, a team that is built its entire identity almost to a fault on top end talent. And I, I truly think here is that it's getting to a point that we all just have to accept that no matter what you change around them, Unless you get that top-end talent, nothing's going to change. Like, look, I put out a tweet yesterday that I was told that the Flyers are interested in bringing back um, Zach McEwen. Not that contract talks are underway or it's a priority in any sort, just that they think they've been he's been effective for them. They would like to bring him back, maybe. Okay. And people obviously freaking out a large portion. And it's just like, what do you think would happen if the Flyers ran it back next year, but just it got a better fourth-line right winger than Zach McEwen. <laughs> like, they just got a better Zach McEwen. Oh like, a, a, like a Stanley net... Cup, here we come! <laughs> and that's why I'm just like, I don't care if you go back into next season with Brown, Thompson, and McEwen as your fourth line if you're able to bring in Dylan Larkin and Philip Forsberg, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but there are so many people here that I truly believe would rather go back in with a top line of Couturier, Limblom, and Konechny as a, with a quote, better fourth line than just run it back with these guys who are probably a below average fourth line, but actually put the onus on getting that top end talent. Oh, I would believe that 100%. I guarantee if you put that poll on Twitter, would you rather come back with a new top line or a new bottom line? People, they, they would just want to swap out Nate Thompson for literally anybody else, and they'd be happy. And they want to run, run it back with all their favorite players and Sean Couturier and Travis Konechny and fucking Sanheim and Provorov and the same goddamn people that have been failing for six years now. I don't know. Uh, what, what did Nate Thompson ever do to these people? What the fuck? He came back and, oh, oh my God. Did he, like, drown puppies in his free time that I don't know about or something? What is <laughs> happening? How can a guy be so hated when he hasn't even played all year? What the fuck? These people, I just, the focus on depth players, this is not a new thing for this fan base, but it's it's new in the grand scheme of things. But, like, God, well, it happened with Torinsky and Butterman all the time, back when they were on the roster. 
when they made it and what was that 2019 20 and they made the oh my god the Praetorian skin bottom and they're gonna suck that everything sucks and it's like bro like if you really honest to goodness think that these fourth liners are the difference between you winning and losing games like bro I don't know what to tell you like if you cannot acknowledge that these top players that you have just are not very good it doesn't matter who's on your fourth line you know those those are not gonna be the difference makers and people freaked out when Thompson came back because they were he, they, they sat Hayden Hodgson, who, by the way, I was told just last week wasn't a prospect, you know, because he fucking wasn't drafted here. He's just some random dude that got lucky. But, like, at the end of the day, you're freaking out because they're sitting Hayden Hodgson. They're taking seven minutes a night away from Hodgson on the fourth line to give to Nate Thompson. Those monsters. Mike Yow must be fired. God, man. Yeah, it, it... I, I, it's people want to just get mad at everything under the sun. And they, they, this is kind of the, the part where the video game mentality comes into play where they think that, well, you know, just sit these veterans and then we're going to play the young guys and they're going to build up their potential just by getting ice time and gameplay and this and that. But you take away the human element here. And this is true is that if you sit, all of your veteran guys between now and the de- and the end of the season, you're not going to attract anyone to come to Philadelphia. I don't think a lot of people are itching to come here anyway. And, you know, I saw a lot of people saying like, oh, well, Kevin Hayes can go too. Like, we don't need this garbage mentality like his old best friends club. It's just like. You know what? He was the last big name free agent to sign here, and I use the and I use the term big name very loosely with that. And in a lot of ways, he's kind of been like the captain right now. I don't know about you. Who would you say is like the unofficial captain of this team right now? I'm pretty sure the locker room leader right now is Kevin Hayes. Exactly. So Kevin Hayes, especially with Katori not there and Lawton right not there right now, it's Kevin Hayes. And you want to start pissing guys like him off? Like, you have to toe this line and look at it from, a, like, a, like an actual, like, person, human level. And I don't know if people really realize that if you just start giving, like, kids, like, free reign. And this isn't to say that Mikeyo isn't giving young guys opportunity. Like, Noah Cates is playing in the top six. Morgan Frost like is a like is a top nine staple now. Cam York is playing on in the top pair. Uh, like I don't know what people want. Like yes, is does Nate Thompson not really have a future on this team? Probably not. But if people like him and he did a lot to battle back from a bad injury, what kind of message does it send to the rest of the veterans on the team? And even, like, other players, like, players talk around the league. And imagine, like, Nate Thompson's talking to some buddies, and they're just like, and he's just like, yeah, I battled back, and I got back, and they wouldn't even play me over a 26-year-old rookie, or however old Hodgson is. Like, you just have to think about it from this point of view. It's not a video game where you could just load up your bottom six with young guys and expect there to be no repercussions on personal levels. Yeah, and especially somebody like Nate Thompson, 
who has a lot of respect in that room as well. And, and as you mentioned, coming back from such a serious injury, working through it, coming back cleared in the last, you know, 10 games of the season, where the fuck we're at, 15, and, and wanting a little bit of ice time, you know. It's not the end of the world that you're playing Nate Thompson over Hayden Hodgson. The reality is there's a good chance neither one of them are here next season, you know. So, I don't know. It just doesn't matter. Swapping out deck chairs... In, of your depth players when there's 15 games left, when you're 40 points out of a playoff spot and post-elimination, like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if Thompson's playing, if Yandel's playing, if Hodgins playing, if Patrick Brown is playing. It doesn't matter. Because those guys that are not, I guess, I actually think Patrick Brown is signed next year, but fuck, that's a different story for a different day. But <laughs> you, uh, those guys don't matter. You want to see what your top guys are doing. You want to see what Morgan Frost is doing. You want to see what Joel Farabee can do at center, what Owen Tippett looks like. You know, the guys that are going to be here and be part of the future long term right now. You know, I think there's going to be a relatively decent overhaul this season of these players. And right now, it's about figuring out what you got. It's about figuring out what Cates can do, what Adderd can do, what Cam York can do. You know, swapping out Keith Yandel for Nick Sealer doesn't matter. Swapping out random depth guy for Nate Thompson doesn't matter. You know, they're not affecting the game one way or the other at this point. It just doesn't matter. If they were fighting for a playoff spot and you're bringing Nate Thompson back and all this shit, okay, fine. Maybe we can talk about it then. And even then, I probably wouldn't care that much. I just, you just gotta shut the hell up about every minor fucking move this team makes. I can't take it anymore. (laughs) And, uh, you know, you can look at some positives here individually. And I think the best one lately since, and I hate to say this because we always love Justin Braun, but since he was scratched and he was scratched, what, the the last game before the trade deadline? Like he played in Ottawa, right? If I'm correct. Yeah, he played in Ottawa. And then they scratched him the night before. For, uh, they... The Islanders game. I don't think he played that the... night. So since the Islanders game, have you realized how great Ivan Provorov has been playing? Yeah. He's looked much better, believe it or not, now that he's with uh, uh, Cam York. Cam- he's playing on his offside, by the way. Um, yep. He looks great. And he, uh, Cam York looks good as well, You know, as good as he can be on his offside. But, yep. uh, you know... It's almost like Provorov is good if you put him with a good partner. (laughs) Crazy, I know. But, like, (laughs) and this goes back to when everybody wanted him fucking traded. People turned on Provorov hard this year. I gotta trade him, I gotta trade him. And it's like, really? People lose their goddamn minds when Nicholas Abe-Kubel plays seven minutes a night in the Colorado Avalanche fourth line. You're telling me you'd be perfectly fine trading your number one defenseman, Ivan Provorov, to a team with a stable defense core when he'd look like a superstar? Like, if you just found this guy a partner, and this goes back to the Ryan Ellis thing. You know, if Ryan Ellis is healthy all season, guaranteed Provorov would not have looked like anything like he did, you know. And a lot of people shrug that off. You know, oh, it doesn't matter what Alice is doing. Provorov needs to be good on his own. You know, at the end of the day, like, he just needs a partner. He just needs a partner. And Cam York is doing very good in his own right. The fact that he's basically, you know, he's in the NHL playing top line minutes on his offside at, you know, 20 years old with very limited experience under his belt. Like, that's good too. You know, so the versatility that York is showing, that should not excuse them from finding a top righty. And go, this goes for Farabee as well. That, you know, him playing center should not excuse the team from finding a legitimate top center this summer. But having a little bit of versatility out of your top young stars on this team in York and Farabee, that's a good thing. 
Having them be able to play anywhere you need them is a good thing. That is something that has been sorely lacking on this current roster for quite some time now. You know, you had the wingers that are basically stapled to their respective sides, and that's it. So the fact that you've got some versatility in this lineup from some of you younger guys, it's not ideal, and it should not, you know, stop them from adding legit top center in the summer, but... For the time being, I am glad that, you know, it, it is working out well, um, at least in the short term. Yeah, like, look, I don't think that Joel Farabee belongs in the middle by any stretch. Like, I, I, he clearly is much better served on the wing. But like you said, at least they're exploring that option that if they're in a pinch, they know that maybe he could do it in a passable capacity. But even a guy like Morgan Frost, like I thought Morgan Frost the last seven games or so, like I'm kind of looking at it since that game right before um, right before the trade deadline. Like I'm kind of looking at everything in a vacuum since then, because that's like when it felt like this new era has really started to kind of get ushered in here. And I feel like Morgan Frost has like, again, I think consistency is more his thing, like because you know, he's still, you know, he's played good in those seven games, but he still only has a goal and an assist. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you're still kind of looking for him to do it consistently. Or even a guy like Owen Tippett. Like, Owen Tippett, for me, I thought has looked pretty good, but he only has one assist in those seven games. So, like, you can look good and you can play well and your underlying numbers can be great, but at a certain point, you're going to look for some... M- just some of that more raw numbers, that actual tangible offense. So like, but again, at this point, and I hate to say this, we're kind of back to um, moral victories. And you have to look at guys like, yep, Frost has been playing well down the middle on the third line. Tippett, I think, has shown some good jump. And you look at Provorov, who's played better. Uh, I think Sanheim's been fairly consistent all the way through this season. York, I mean, I don't think he's been playing excellently. I mean, over the last seven games, his underlying numbers in terms of expected goals for and against are almost identical to Rosmus Ristolainen, in case anyone wants to fall down. <laughs> and have an oh, you got to put that stat on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, again, like, do I, am I, but, again, I think that Cam York obviously gets some leeway because he's playing on the top pair on his offside. I'm not saying that he's playing bad. Ristolainen, I think that he's kind of had up and downs. Like, he has some bad games here and there, but... I mean, I, I'm curious to see what kind of becomes of Rosmus Ristolainen when they have Ryan Ellis or whoever else playing that top pair next year to kind of push his minutes a bit down. But look, they, there are some positives here, but it is imperative that they inject some high-end talent here. And maybe it's as simple as just getting healthy and adding one top-line center, an offensive catalyst all on his own. Do you think just adding one top-line center could do a lot for this team? Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you're fully healthy, which, you know, has not been the story of this season, but if you can just bring in Dylan Larkin, for example, and you have him on a top line with Farabee and Atkinson, like, that alone is going to produce offense. You cut Couturier's minutes down, because there's no reason you got to ride this guy so goddamn hard at this point in his career, especially considering you got him signed for the next fucking 10 years. You know, cutting his minutes, you cut Hayes' minutes, you can use him exclusively, you know, basically on the special teams and in certain roles. Like, 
you you can make this happen here. You got enough depth on the wing to move it around. You got enough young guys coming up. I've been at the Phantoms the last couple nights, and sweet Jesus, do I love some of those players. You know, Tanner Lazinski is still hanging around. You got Tyson Forrester who's been in juniors, but he's been fucking great. You know, you got a lot of guys here that, theoretically, if your center depth was anything above what it is now, you could probably squeeze some talent out of this group. And, uh, you know, obviously that's going to be the big question this summer is, you know, what are you thinking center depth? Apparently Friedman talked about Kadri the other day. And I, I'm telling you what, if they run back next season with fucking Nazim Kadri, Kevin Hayes, and Sean Couturier, I'm going to lose my goddamn mind. That may be it. I may be checking out. I'm going to retire. I'm going to move to Boca. I just, I, I, I can't. You need you need some high end talent here. If you want to sign Kadri and Garrett of Hayes, more power to you. But at the same time, you really, 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 really need a young, offensively dynamic center. And I realize that is not easy to get. But you know, you got to drain whatever is left of your you know asset pool here. You know to to get that guy because that is probably going to be the big difference maker next season is whether you have a legitimate center on this team or not. Because everything else will be for naught if you don't address that. Yes. That, that's just the fact of the matter. Kadri, for me, that would be that would be a desperation move. Like, if they do a Kadri signing, that would be like, okay, I would probably lose faith in this management group. And, I mean, at the same time, like, obviously people have been calling for the head of Fletcher since the Giroud trade. And, I mean... To be honest, like in hindsight, now that the dust has settled, what is it, two two weeks ago now? Um, how have you kind of been able to process the closure trade? Now that the emotional side is over, um, it's a lot easier, I think, to look at this and go, yeah, this was the right move. Um, you, It's just, it was time for something new. And, you know, I talked about this on one of the games earlier in the week. Um, where this team right now, this is a team without Giroud and Katuri, and to a lesser extent, Scott Lawton. You know, you're seeing this group without anybody from the old core. You know, if you fire James and Reamsdake into the sun, you'd really have something special here. You know, this is kind of what this team should look like. This is what a proper new era should have looked like, is you know, minus Giroux and Couturier. Now, Couturier's going to come back, and we'll see, you know, how much longer he's got as a contributor in his career. I'm obviously skeptical of his long-term staying power at this point. But, you know, if he can come back, but in a lesser role, again, we just talked about with the center, you know, maybe you can extend his career a little bit, let him play some more favorable minutes at this point in his career. There's no reason this guy needs to be playing top center minutes plus power play and penalty kill. There's just no reason for it. So, you know, I, I, I'm fine with Giroud leaving. I still have no idea if he comes back or not. I'm leaning towards no at this point. But I'm um, hoping no. Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting one. And we talked about this on Freakin' Flyer where, you know, I wonder what that would do for the chemistry in the room if you kind of coronate Joel Farabee and some of the younger guys is, you know, you're the next leader here. Here you go, kid. You know, get ready. And then all of a sudden you go, ah, oh, by the way, we're bringing Clutch Drew back. <laughs> you know? I, I wonder if that would cause some, you know, unintended riff in the room there. Um, so at this point in his career, like now that the emotional side is gone, like I, you can recognize Drew's still a good player if he wants to come back for the dirt cheap. I, I, I guess it's hard to turn that down. But at the same time, like I think now that the court is cut, 
you know, it's time to look forward. It's time to figure out what your next steps are and truly usher in a new era of Flyers hockey here because the last one wasn't very good. Well, and I, I wrote about that in an article for the fourth period last week where, you know, I said that even though it wasn't all his fault or even predominantly his fault, he became the face of the worst era in the history of the franchise. This era of, let's say, the mid to late 2010s, early 2020s of Flyers hockey where they almost never made the playoffs they passed the first round once in embarrassing fashion they haven't played at the wells fargo center in a playoff game since 2018 like he was the face of that and i know that in those years he had great seasons one of which where he scored 102 points and 34 goals and more times than not he was the only guy single-handedly dragging this team into contention certainly in let's say the year 1415 where him and Vorchek, i think were both point per game players and they were just an absolute tire fire but he still was that phase he still was the guy that kind of personified or not personified that's not it represented that's the better word he represented this past era it's kind of like rick nash in columbus in the late 2000s that's a good example actually like it's that's the best way i could attach it to where rick nash while he was there was arguably the best winger in the nhl certainly the best power forward in the nhl But it got to a certain point where there was just such a lack of success where they both had to say, look, we need to move on. You need a change and we need a change. And in the end, it was probably the best for both parties. The Blue Jackets actually became a respectable hockey team after then when they brought in guys like Foligno and Panarin and Dubinsky and Tortorella came in. They got some good defensemen. And Rick Nash, although I don't think he ever really reached the success that he had in Columbus and New York, he was able to go to a cup final with them, a perennial playoff team. I think his his um, his career ended prematurely due to injuries. But look, when all was said and done, he goes back to being a Blue Jacket. They retire his number. And I think he has some role in the front office now. Like, I think that's the way we kind of got to approach this. And I think that the the Flyers and Giroux have made it go on far longer than it did with Nash and um, and the Jackets. And, you know, like we said, like Giroux probably should have been traded two, three years ago. Like, it's sad. It really sucks. It's like I said, I thought that there would be a fairy tale ending here where you know, they would be able to make it work and he would finally raise a cup. But that's just not the way real life works sometimes. And I just think that bringing him back would be a colossal, colossal mistake because we had talked about it. Like when we talked about the younger guys maybe being poisoned by the old guard, like how could you expect guys like Provorov and Sanheim and Konechny to step up and really take their places as the, you know, new leaders on this team when they're sitting across the room from guys like Giroux and Voracek and maybe to a lesser extent, Sean Couturier. And they're, they're just like, well, they're still here. And they were the faces of that old losing culture. So I don't know. I, I love Claude Giroux. I thought he, you know, had a really shitty hand dealt to him in Philadelphia. 
but bringing him back would just be a very grave mistake. Yeah, that's a good point, and and I, I've not heard that Rick Nash comparison before, but I really do like that, because I think it works well. You know, you look at Rick Nash and go, he was one of the best players of his era, but he was on the fucking goddamn Blue Jackets and pissed away his whole career, you know? And he just, had he had a good era when he was at his absolute peak, I mean, he would have been unstoppable. And I think a lot of that is very linear to Giroux. You know, this guy, points-wise, is one of the best players of his era. You know, had this guy been surrounded with top-end talent for the last 15 years, you know, you could have he could have led something special here. And, you know, he was a little too young during the cup run in 2010, and he was a little too old to truly save this team now. And, you know, unfortunately... Hextall came along in 14 and put the brakes on everything. Quite frankly, that's when Jury should have been traded, is when Hextall yeah. showed up and demanded a fucking rebuild because he fucked that up, keeping the entire core together. But, you know, I, I do think that's a good example, though, is somebody like Rick Nash. And, you know, when Jury comes back, I don't think there will be any hard feelings from the fans. I don't think this is a, you know, win draw situation or anything like that. But, you know, it'll be, he'll be, his numbers will be in the rafters one day. I'm sure at some point he'll have a front office gig. Um, and, uh, yeah, but for the time being, I, I, I definitely, I, I think it's time to move on from the player um, and just figure out what else you got here. You got to address this team getting younger. You got to make some serious moves to get them back to the um, level of competitive edge that they need. So, and Drew, you know, can still do what he's doing at 35, but or, well, 34, but, you know, it's just, I don't think it's worth the unintended consequences of, you know, the whatever riff you may cause in the leadership group um, and, and just the players by bringing him back. So, love Drew, will always be my favorite flyer. I will still go to the grave saying that he is the best, but um, I, I do think it's time to move on and, uh, you know, kind of accept the uh, this new era is here. And quite frankly, I think a lot of people feel the same way. Uh, just kind of gauging the interest of, of, you know, Flyers Twitter over the last little while. I think a lot of people seem more ready now that the Band-Aid is kind of ripped off um, and, and he's gone. I think they seem a little bit more ready to, um, you know, welcome in a new era and uh, see what the see what beholds next season. I also think it's because, like, you look at this team when fully healthy for next season. Where would you really fit them? Like, honestly, like, I mean... I think that they're going to add a top six center. Yeah. So he wouldn't be playing there. As far as the top six wingers go, I mean, I don't think Konechny is going to be here next year. That's just my opinion. Um, I I know that they weren't looking to trade him at the deadline, but I think that their hope was to put him in a good position down the stretch here and build up his value again. Um, so I think he's not going to be around, but I would assume that your top six right wings are probably... You know, some combination of Atkinson's in there that maybe a Tippett or an Allison. Maybe they get Forster a look. Who knows? Um, <clears throat> on the left side, you'd probably have Joel Farabee, maybe Limblom, maybe a free agent signing. So, like, I guess you could maybe put um, Claude Giroux, let's say, hypothetically, in a world that you want to re-sign him on, like, a second-line right wing. But you're saying that, the, that they have a lot of talent on the wings throughout the organization. So would they not just be best served to really invest in, let's say it's a Dylan Larkin, hypothetically, they bring in Dylan Larkin into the mix. Would you be comfortable rolling with Larkin, Couturier, Hayes down the middle, and then kind of just insulating them around with like younger wingers? Yeah. I'd be fine with that. I think as long as you have a legitimate number one, and listen, I am not Sean Couturier's biggest fan, 
but I think you can still squeeze at least another year or two out of him being ultra productive. You just got to not let him be the number one. He's got to be the guy that picks up the pieces from Dylan Larkin and you know, or whoever your number one C is. Um, <clears throat> so that would be... That would be my guess. You got you got like four teams worth of wingers in this organization right now. You know, that is the one thing that you really don't need. Most of them are on the right side. You know, you got Allison and Tippett, and if they bring McEwen back like we talked about earlier, Forster, I assume, is going to be here sooner rather than later because he's so friggin' good. You know, you got a lot of, uh, a lot of talent on the wings here, and, you know, Farabee's not going anywhere. Lindblom may or may not going anywhere. You know, Scott Lawton on a good day is probably a middle six winger. So, you know, you got a lot of uh, options on the wing. It's It really is about building up your center depth. If you can add one really good center, quite frankly, maybe two just for funsies, um, just give yourself that extra bit of uh, help there. I think you have enough talent on the wings where you can form some kind of combination somehow, uh, whether it be through the youth coming up like a Forrester Allison or the, you know, established vets in Atkinson and, uh, you know, whether that be Farabee or Lindblom. But either way, you know, I, I, like we said uh, when we opened the show, like the crux of the success next season is going to be based on what your centers are. Because you have enough talent at wings, you know, no matter what happens with the wingers, even if they bring in a Johnny Gaudreau or Forsberg or whatever the case is, you know, you, you'll have more than enough talent down the sides. It's about finding the right guy down the middle. And I, I do think that, like, if you bring in a Larkin, I think you're going to see a guy like Cam Atkinson maybe get to 35 goals. I think you're going to see a guy like Joel Farabee really get unlocked. Like, I think Farabee's been a guy for a long time, but you just see the way he plays. Like, if he was riding shotgun with, like, He so know, like, desperately needs a top guy to work with. Yeah. He's got like, all the he, pieces, and just he's never had that spark plug to truly ignite him. And, like, there's very few wingers in the NHL that are, like, standalone top-line players. Like, I think that wingers are very much traditionally complementary players. Like, there's not many Panarins or Mitch Marners of the world who can drive a line. And even a guy like Mitch Marner is playing with Austin Matthews, the greatest goal scorer of the generation. (laughs) So, and obviously I'm not considering last generation with Ovi. But as a centerman, I've just never seen a guy score goals like him before. But a guy like Joel Farabee to me... And you even see it with the Johnny Gaudreau. Like, Johnny Gaudreau, yeah, he's having a hell of a season right now, but it's because Elias Lindholm has completely exploded as a top-line center in this league. So, I mean, it's very tough to just expect a winger to come in here and turn around the offense. And that's why, like, I've always been hesitant to, like, just throw a bunch of money at Forsberg or Gaudreau and then call it a day. Because I think if you bring in Johnny Gaudreau here and you put him on a line with, like, Konechny and Couturier, I'm not really expecting that much. I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm not—I just really think that in terms of high-end talent here, if you just started off by bringing in a Larkin and you ran a top line of Atkinson and Farabee centered by Larkin— I think you would have a hell of a line on your hands, and I think that you would see Farabee become maybe a 30-goal, 60-point guy because that is the key to a lot of guys finding success. Like, Scott Hartnell was a good example of that. Would Scott Hartnell have ever scored 30 goals or 60 points not playing with Briere or Giroux in those years? 
You know, like Joffrey Lupul was another good example of that. We saw him catch fire with Carter here, and we also saw him catch fire in Toronto with Bozak and and uh, Phil Kessel. Like, I just think that like this high end talent thing has to come down the middle, unless again, like you know, like when I did the show with uh, Mertidis earlier this week, he's very high on Mitch Marner. So, like, yeah, if you can bring in a guy like Mitch Marner, then, like, obviously, like, I'll settle for a winger because he is one of those rare breeds of um, of wingers who can kind of be offensive catalysts. But, I mean, I think that just bringing a Larkin and then maybe you focus on adding some other types of element to this because do you think if you bring in a Larkin, you still have to add that goal scorer type of guy? It would help. Um you know, and we just talked about banking on the wingers. I think if you find a Larkin, you can squeeze the most out of Farabee and Atkinson, but you're also still kind of stretching. I really like uh, Tyson Forrester in that role as a potential big-time goal scorer, but again, a little too... Uh, talent's a little too raw at this point to find out. So if you're serious about competing, you should probably bring in a top goal scorer as well as a Dylan Larkin, a top center. Um, but I don't think it's quite as high on the priority list as a as a bonafide topsy what about putting a guy like Tippett on that line like and now we're assuming that larkin is is a flyer next year what would you feel about putting a guy like owen Tippett with larkin and Farabee? like what have you seen out of owen Tippett? owen Tippett. And I realize this is an easy comparison because they're basically twins, but he's like <laughs> Wade Allison light. He plays such a similar style, just with a little bit less, uh, I don't say passion, that's that's not fair, but energy. This, this, it's just, he's the same guy, just ah, a little bit, a little bit less. And I don't know what to make of him moving forward. I think he's probably more of a bottom six energy kind of guy who can have an upside, but, I mean, he's never been a big goal scorer in the NHL, or really in the NHL, for that matter. Um, I don't know. I mean, you could put him up there and give him a try. If you're really interested in, in capitalizing the most out of your return for Giroud, that'd be the way to do it. But at this point in time, like we just talked about, I think they're pretty deep on the wings where you shouldn't have to resort to that, um, at least out of the gate. Uh, if you want to give him a try at some point, more power to you. But I think right now, you know... I, I would assume he's probably a, a, a bottom six, maybe third pair winger right now. And what he's about Allison? He's got a hell of a shot, though, for what it's worth. I thought, I'm fucking, Tippett hasn't scored yet, but goddamn, does that kid have a shot. So if he could put it together, they may, uh, he may be able to find something there. At least a power play guy. Yeah. Like, because it, the thing with Allison, like, I guess they're keeping him down in the AHL to see if he can stay healthy. That would be my best guess right now. It's staying healthy, and he's working through... Uh, the conditioning as well. Um, that was the thing that he gave in the interview for AHL.com was that he's still, you know, kind of getting back to that. Um, getting back to his level of feeling good. Because he has only played, I believe it's six games in two weeks. You know, it, it, straight. He came back at the beginning of the month and almost got his hand cut off and missed a couple more games. So I think he's only played six straight games in the course of two weeks. So he's still working back. It feels like he's been down there forever, but, you know, he's still, uh, still, you know, getting back to that point. He's missed basically the entire season with, you know, various injuries. So I think the idea of keeping him down there is just let him get his conditioning back. 
you're letting him work up to it. You're letting him build some, you know, uh, not that he needs it, but some charisma and some energy and some, you know, um, passion back. So, yeah, I really do like Wade Allison. Um, I think this guy can be a fucking superstar if he stays healthy. He's just the entire complete package uh, as far as everything you want in a winger. So, if he can stay healthy, like, we got a new boom period in Philadelphia Flyers hockey. You bring him and Larkin together, holy shit, we got 10 straight Stanley Cups. <laughs> and do you think that there's anything to be said about because obviously it's a very polarizing topic between like people who are more analytics based and maybe more traditional fans assuming you know allison comes up on a full-time basis next year and they keep zach McEwen even as a 12 13 forward do you think that they should focus on adding some more, obviously, functional physicality, kind of like Barkley, Goudreau, guys of that nature? It wouldn't hurt to do that. And <clears throat> you really don't have those players right now. Um, but what about Ratcliffe? Ratcliffe? I'm curious to see what they do with Ratcliffe. I know his ELC is up this year. Um, he is another guy, by the way. Ever since that call-up, he's looked like a brand new man with the Phantoms. I saw a whole lot of Ratcliffe over the last two and a half years of that kid and was never once impressed. But holy shit, he's just... that, that He's really unlocked a side of himself, both offensively and from a physicality standpoint that I've never seen out of him before, previous to, you know, the last uh, month or so since he got sent back down. So, uh... I wouldn't hate giving him another look in the NHL. And quite frankly, that's the most annoying part about going to these Phantoms games right now, is realizing that, like, half of these players in this roster should be getting NHL minutes right now. Wade Allison, Lazinski, uh, Ratcliffe, fuck even Matt Strom. That kid stepping up. Zamula, you know, Sonstrom. But, uh, you know, they're still, I guess, technically fighting for a playoff spot. It's not looking great, but they're, you know, still at least in the, in the hunt. But, yeah, I wouldn't hate Ratcliffe as a bottom liner next year. Um, you know, whether they do it or not, I guess is yet to be seen, but I would not mind re-signing him for another year or two to see what he's got. Well, because I'm trying to look at like what they're going to do more with the bottom six next year, because I think in an ideal world, you have Hayes playing down there yeah. and then you would probably have at this juncture, tip it on the right wing. Lawton and on then, the left. yeah, Lawton on the left. Exactly. And then the fourth line... That sounds like a like, really fun line. Lawton, Hayes, and Tippett. Ooh. I think it'd be great. Like, And that's why like, I'm saying that like, if you just got healthy and you just added Larkin, and I'm assuming that you traded... Like, at this point, even though he's playing well, like I'm just assuming that Frost is going to be traded. I would assume because, he's not coming back, yeah. Like, it's just like now he's starting to play well, so you could justify some value behind him. So let's say you use him and connect need to get a center of sorts, whether that be Larkin. We're just using Larkin for funsies. Yeah. Um, so you could have a Farabee, Larkin, uh, Atkinson line or Allison, whatever. Your second line, I guess you could say Limblom, Couturier, Atkinson slash Allison, Lawton, Hayes, Tippett. It's not a terrible top nine. Like, and I know the goal should be a Stanley Cup contender here, but I mean, if guys stay healthy and then you add a fourth line, like, I, would you say Lazinski's the 4C next year? I would hope so. 
Um, he's been... He looks... <laughs> again, now that he's got two hips that work, um, he, he, he definitely has been very, very good um, since his return to the Phantoms. Again, now that he's got two good hips. So I would assume he gets another look next season, uh, provided he doesn't, you know flee. He's a restricted free agent, so I guess he can't, but, uh, you know, I would assume he gets another look next season now that he's fully healthy, yeah. Lezinski, so, so Lezinski, let's see. Ratcliffe, and... Hmm. McEwen, maybe? If he's hanging McEwen. around. Yeah. Some other... Well, I know they like passing Fouts, who has been good in uh, Arizona this year, so let's say McEwen is your 13th guy... And you have Kraus playing with Lazinski and whoever. Like, I mean, I don't think that that's a surefire Stanley Cup contender, but I think it's a team that, like, if it pushes the right pieces, or if, I mean, like, if you push the right buttons, maybe it could do something. You know, like, maybe at the deadline, you're just like, hey, we're maybe a piece or so away here. Because the defense, to me, like aside from adding uh, a veteran for the right uh, side of the third pair, I mean, assuming Ryan Ellis could stay healthy, and obviously that is a massive if, I think it's okay, right? I don't think it's going to change much. I think it's Prover of Ellis, Sanheim Risto, York, insert name here on the bottom right, is my guess. Um Unless they keep York or Wrighty in Ellis's absence, I guess. It depends on what they end up doing with Ryan Ellis. Um, but I would assume maybe a trade Sanheim or, or a Provorov. I can't Im- I, I don't know. I wrote a piece about that earlier in the week about what you end up doing there. And I have no idea. Um, I, I don't think you can truly justify trading either one of them right now unless it's for cap space to make other moves. Um, but... I don't know. I would assume that defense, though, until, you know, the rumors start flying, I would assume that defense stays relatively intact besides somebody for, you know, the third pair right-hand side. No, yeah, I just I just don't think that you can trade either because I don't think Provorov you can trade because I, I've, well, I've just said it numerous times. I you, you would have to bring in a better defenseman than him. So, I mean, and right now you're seeing that he is playing very well. So maybe it was just playing with a guy like Justin Braun that was a part of the issue. And Sanheim, I mean, he's played very well this year. And I know I've always been of the, the belief of that you have to trade guys when their value is up. But you've made a commitment to Ristolainen, who has worked well with Sanheim. And Sanheim's obviously the better of the two on that pair. So I'm just not sure how much sense it would make to sign Ristolainen and then turn around and trade Sanheim. And given what happened on the defense this year, I don't think they're in a position to, you know, take anyone away from their top four. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Like they're in a position here to roll at least for one more season with Provorov, Sanheim, and Cam York because York is on his entry level deal. Yes, and that's something that you really have to take advantage of. Like with the way that York's playing right now, like playing him on a bottom pair, like that would be extremely advantageous to this team. And especially if you get a healthy Ryan Ellis, even for like sixty games, he's there. And York can tag in for, like, one every four games or whatever the hell it would be. My math isn't great, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, I, I think that if they should avoid trading Sanheim or Provorov at all costs this season. Or this summer, rather. Yeah, I, there there are pros and cons to each, but I would assume that 
neither go anywhere right now. Um, at least in the short term, you know, if shit hits the fan next year, then I'll I'll (laughs) revisit this topic. But I think for right now, um, you just got to kind of bite the bullet. And the next year you got to figure it out because York's ELC goes up and Santa needs a new contract. You know, you can figure it out then, but I think there's enough reasonable doubt with Provorov's game and Sanam has done more than enough this season to at least give him another chance and like you said resigning uh, Ristolainen in there you probably want Sanheim because those two have worked well together for most of the season so there's no reason to voluntarily break that up if you don't have to yet and I think you've got enough trade ships at forward and through draft picks and whatnot and, and you know the few players you have left where I don't think you need to part with one of those two um yeah but I would assume the defense stays at least relatively similar, for better or worse at this point. Um, you know, you do have Zmul hanging around, you know, down in the uh, AHL as well. Maybe you roll a third pair of Zmul on the left and York on the right, considering they seem hell-bent on putting him on the right side for some reason. So you do have options there if, if you really want to uh, screw around with that. And Zmul is on his ELC as well. And what about, what do you think ultimately becomes of uh, Oscar Lindblom? I have no idea... What becomes of Lindblom? And the thing is, is like when he when he has a role on this team and he's on, he's really friggin' good. He's like one of the perfect depth guys, you know. But he's failed to kind of be able to hold down that permanent role somewhere, and he's kind of bounced around all season. And for what it's worth, I still think a lot of that is just coming back from you know cancer and, and figuring all of that out and you know kind of learning his body and refiguring out what he's doing. So there is enough benefit of the doubt there. He's played much better the last, you know, month or so. Um, so it's hard, you know. Is it a good PR move to to move Lindblom? No. Does it make a lot of financial sense to have a $3 million bottom six winger when you've got to spend a whole lot of money to bring in a few top stars? No. Do you want to give up a Lindblom? No. Do you, it's just you're in a really weird spot with this kid. And... I don't know. I don't think I'd be surprised if they move him, but I don't think I'd be surprised if he's here next summer either, or next season either. Yeah, he's, um, I just feel like he's yet to kind of find a niche. You know, like, I just, I don't really know what his role is yet. And there's sometimes where he plays, like, a very sound game, but, like, I don't know if feel like he's a good complimentary second-line guy, if he's just a better, he's not a fourth-line player. No. Every time he plays on the fourth line, he looks completely out of play, uh, place. Like, I don't think he's exceptional on either special teams, to be honest with you. Like, maybe passable on the penalty kill. Like, I don't know. Like, I just, I don't know what kind of player he is. He's just one of those players that I guess you could put him in any role and he could kind of make it work. So he kind of fits that Swiss Army knife type, but I think Scott Lawton kind of plays that role. Yeah, and like I thing. feel He's like making three million dollars too. You kind of got two of the same player down there. Yeah, Scott Lawton to me is essentially what Limblom was kind of supposed to be in a way. Yeah. Well, not even really. Like I guess Limblom was supposed to be better, but I don't know. Uh, like you can't have both, and Lawton's significantly better at this point. I guess that's my point. Yeah, I, I I don't know how you roll with both of them next year, but, I mean, they clearly don't want to give him a lot, and I think this guy's here long-term. He's clearly a leader on this team now. But, man, I just don't know. I mean, Lindblom's offensive totals aren't that bad. He's got 11 goals and 23 points this year, most of which happened in the last, you know, two or three months. So, 
he can be effective in certain roles. I've always compared him to Michael Roffel, you know, in the sense that you can put him kind of anywhere and he's never going to look out of place, but he's not, you know, overly great either. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just, you're going to need every dollar this summer to do whatever it is you're going to do. And I just can't see both of Lawton and Lindblom surviving. But at the same time, I, I, I don't know. You got enough, again, you have more than enough depth on the wings here to truly make up for it. Um, you know, it's not like Lindblom is going to make or break your team next season, but at the same time, I don't know. It'll definitely be interesting to see what they do with uh, Lindblom this summer. Yeah, it's going to be one of the many interesting storylines. It's, uh, I'm just wondering if, like, there's any big shift coming in the front office or even higher than the front office. That's what I'm kind of looking at right now. You'd assume the coaching staff doesn't come back, right? I, I can't imagine. And like, again, like I feel bad for Mike Yo because even though I don't think very fondly of him as a head coach and you can't bring him back, I don't think you can just because there's been no tangible success in terms of, you know, wins in that department. But I mean, like, I feel like he's done some good work. I think he's been fighting an uphill battle since he got put in the position in early December. I th- I've liked his candor. I think he's made some really good you know developments and uh, progressions with some young guys even like as much as people were like you know trying to burn him at the stake for morgan frost i think morgan frost has finally even started to play well down the middle finally so mike yo kind of got what he was looking for like i just i can't see them justifiably bring him back like he was he hasn't really d- turned the ship around in any which way. Sure, they've looked better along the way, and you've seen some more, um, how would you say, some some younger guys perform better, but uh, I don't know. I just can't see it. Yeah, I, I just don't. <laughs> it's not even particularly his fault at this point. I don't think highly of Mike Yeo as a coach or anything, but, like, what a shitty situation that guy got thrown into, and... I just I can't imagine they bring him back. You've got too much at stake next year to run it back with somebody that didn't turn the ship around this year. And individually, he had a lot more success than people are going to give him credit for. But at the end of the day, like it just it, I don't I just don't think it's going to work. Especially the fucking assistants, fucking the two guys from the Muppets. What the fuck are their names? The old guys. That's who you got running the uh, Torchetti and the, Williams. Yeah, yeah, the band of misfits back there. But. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I just can't imagine they come back. It will be interesting to see what happens in the front office. Um, I would assume Fletcher sticks around, at least in the short term. Um, you know, we've got to see what happens anywhere else. But, you know, I would assume if they wanted to fire Fletcher and throw Breer into the deep end, they would have done so already. You know, you're not going to give Fletcher the keys to the castle to the off season and then fire him in, like, September. <laughs> so, I would assume he gets the summer, and the result of what happens this summer will determine his job security down the line, probably, you know, in December, uh, if shit doesn't get better. Hopefully it does! I don't know if I got another fucking bullshit year of losing in me here, but, uh, you know, it's gonna be a big summer. It's, uh, there's a lot of things to get done here. Even just finding a top center is gonna be borderline impossible so you know i i i do not envy uh the laundry list of shit chuck fletcher has to get done this summer yeah i mean look i think that as long as dave scott is here chuck fletcher is safe uh, until like next year at this time i'm i'm talking in terms like until next season but i don't know if scott is a sure thing that's that's just my speculation on it like i don't know how 
stable where is how stable his scene is let's just say that but that's just me you know t- thinking out loud kind of thing that would ultimately be uh big <laughs> if that guy uh, <laughs> walks one way or another and you can bring somebody else in here that uh isn't him um you figure something out and you know kind of let chuck fletcher do his job and you know, maybe by the time he walks, shit hits the fan elsewhere, and they've already burned through all their acids this summer and don't end up rebuilding. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> we shall see, I guess. But uh, you know, that would uh, that'd be some rather big news there uh, if uh, Dave Scott walks away, dragged yeah. away by horseback. <laughs> uh, well, I guess we'll just have to wait and see for that one. Oh, you tease. <laughs> <laughs> Well, anything else you want to uh, touch upon here before we call it a day? No, 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 no. I think we... It was more positive than usual, actually. I think we're making progress on that front. <laughs> Once we burn through all this stupid Keith Yandel bullshit. Uh, <laughs> it's just... we're at, You know, the season's over. It's lost. It's over. You know, you and I, I don't think we've talked about Keith Yandel once all season, just because he just doesn't fucking matter, you know. So, getting that out is fine, but right now it's about looking towards the future. And it's about assessing what you have on this roster, and assessing what you need to make this roster competitive next season. And, at the end of the day, there is some talent here. You know, this team is not as bad as they look. And I realize that, you know, <laughs> the, the, the boldness of that statement, given what we've seen out of them for the last few years, but if you bring in some players that can provide the spark to bring the best out of Joel Farabee and Kevin Hayes and Sean Gatturi, and you get those two, you know, in lesser roles and make them expandable, uh, well, not expandable, you, 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 you make their usefulness expand a little bit, you know, put them in more favorable positions to succeed. If you can figure that out, and Ryan Ellis stays healthy, like, fuck, knock on wood for that, because the fucking chance that guy stays healthy, but, you know, you can elevate Provorov, and Sanheim continues to play well, you know, like, you have some building blocks here. It is about providing the rest of the foundation to continue to build up from, which has been, you know, the biggest bugaboo for the last few years for this stupid fucking team. So if you can provide me with a Dylan Larkin and Johnny Gaudreau, to compliment the players like Farabee and Atkinson and Couturier, like, all of a sudden, you may have something here. You know? It's not... It, it's And we've talked about this in the past, where the high-end talent, you know, those are really, really difficult to get. But you only need one or two, right? It's not like this team needs a total makeover from top to bottom. There's enough talent here where you can figure it out. You just got to get the two pieces that are going to be game-changing pieces. The problem is, they're not exactly easy to obtain, right? So if if you can do that, if you could snag a Dylan Larkin or somebody equivalent to Dylan Larkin this summer, like... That could be the change. That's the first domino to fall, and everything else gets better because of it. At least theoretically, anyway. That's the hope, right? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, without a Dylan Larkin, or to a lesser extent, like a Pierre-Luc Dubois or or Mark Shifley, nothing's going to change. And I don't want to hear about Kadri. It cannot be Nazem Kadri. It just cannot be Nazem Kadri. No, it can't. That... that... Get ready for that fucking meltdown in the summer when they sign him for five years at $8 million. <laughs> yeah, no, that would be... Uh, I just hope, I just hope not. I just hope that's speculation on Elliot Friedman's part. Yeah. 
be a complete failure in the front office. Trust me, I will not be this fucking happy if they sign Nazim Kadri in the offseason. I promise you that. And you'll get a <laughs> good old-fashioned negative Dan Rand out of that. So Meltdown, full scale. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. I guess we'll uh, call it a day here. Uh, we're going to have a frequent flyer. We're actually recording that tonight, so that'll probably go up tomorrow or Tuesday. Shane's back this week. I assume he got a sisterly pod somewhere as well. So, uh, yeah, I think the schedule's pretty much normal. We'll just be pushed back by a day. So, there you go. At Dan the Flyer Van, at Brotherly Puck, at Brotherly underscore pod. And uh, Anthony, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at AidMarco25. All right, everybody. Until next time, goodbye and good night.